coming up on the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. There's a big dog sitting at my feet. He's sleeping. <laughs> One of the women looked at me and said, uh, we're talking about sex. I, but that's probably what most people are talking about, let's be honest. On the finish, it's like... <laughs> uh, Mike Stone? Like, yeah. Uh, Terry Gross is sick. Uh, could you come host Fresh Air for us? <laughs> and now, the Tall Mike Wine Podcast. The cell phones have been silenced. Oh, look! Wine already poured. You must be in the right place, as am I. And just like that, the podcast begins. I'm Mike Stone. Get ready for some wine conversation. Some conversation. Some wine. And a whole lot of what we classify as other. On the podcast heard in 10 countries, on three continents, and 30 of these United States... And I'm just going to sidestep right now to one of those states, the 49th state, Alaska. Uh, Something weird is happening in Alaska, something I really don't understand. Let me share some figures. Anchorage, Alaska is second only to San Francisco, California in listeners to this podcast. And I don't know anybody in Anchorage. Nicholson Ranch, where we normally do the show, does not ship wine there. No wine club members there. And yet... Here we are. Some things are just delightful, regardless of if they are explainable. Anchorage, love you! All right, the podcast is out on the road in an undisclosed location, the home of my guest, who I'll introduce momentarily. But first, thanks to the Schurmeisters of Schurmeister Winery for hosting episode eight last time. We had a nice afternoon of wine and chit-chat If you're looking for a very small but cool winery to support, go see them. Which brings me to episode nine. And my guest this time, you could say he represents the polar opposite of Schurmeister Winery, a very small winery owned and operated by just two people. Uh, My guest today works for a bigger winery, and that bigger winery is owned by an even bigger wine company that owns a few dozen wineries worldwide. We'll call them Big Corporate Wine. Represented by my longtime friend, Brian. Are we clear to use your last name, Brian? Sure. I think, I think I'm allowed to use my own last name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is Brian Drake, my longtime wine drinking pal on the podcast. And we're at his house, sitting in, uh, I believe this is the TV room. There's a big dog sitting at my feet. He's sleeping. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> He's fine. He's fine. So, Brian, how is life in big corporate wine world? It's wonderful. I, I do. I work for uh, a couple of nice, yes, larger entities, but the wines are fantastic. And uh, it's a different dynamic, but it is an exciting environment. Amazing to see how a program kind of on the larger end of things is managed. That's true. The wine is good. I've had a lot of it. You're not working for two buck Chuck. I can reveal that. (laughs) Can we talk about who you work for or would you rather not do that? The thing is when you work for big corporate wine, there's big corporate wine. I don't know. What would you call it? The corporate people that say, if you're going on a podcast, be careful what you say. It's more that they have an entire legal team that I'd rather not (laughs) have to have to interface with if, if I can avoid it. Right. You're only going to say nice things and I'm only going to say nice things. I try not to say negative things on the podcast, even if it's, you know, wine I don't care for. I just don't talk about it. Yeah. Well, but we won't say who you work for, but 
what I do want to talk about are the specifics of your job because I find it unique and I don't think many people even know that your job even exists at wineries. Most people think about the tasting room where I work, but you work in a similar capacity, but not in the tasting room. Can you explain your job to me? Yeah, well, actually, my role has recently changed where I'm now the assistant wine club manager for two different brands. Okay. But for the last three plus years, I was what was what doing what is called direct-to-consumer sales, which you alluded to is very similar to tasting room sales. Because that is also direct-to-consumer direct sales. To I'm talking to people we sell wine directly to. It's not going through a wholesaler that takes it to a store or a restaurant and then is sold to the consumer. Exactly. But you're not talking to people face-to-face typically. No. What the role entails is actually it's phone and internet sales, and you're developing relationships with the clientele you know, via a digital format. Essentially, you're trying to become their wine concierge here in California wine country. And obviously, the goal is to sell them wine. But if they're visiting, you can set them up at different tasting rooms and set them up at your tasting room, hopefully, and even host them yourself as long as time permits. The one major benefit to a job like that in the wine industry is that you have a Monday through Friday work schedule so you do get to keep your weekends, which is mm-hmm. pretty rare. It's almost like, you know, the wine industry is a bit like the restaurant industry other than the late, late night hours. Right. You work in a tasting room, you don't have to work nights, but you do have to work at least Saturdays because if you're going to work in a tasting room and you just want to dabble, one of those days you're working is going to be Saturday. Even if you want to work three days, it's like, uh, no, you're working Saturdays because Saturdays is all hands on deck. So you sit in an office and I... I think you told me during COVID, mostly you sat here in this room or somewhere in this house and you talk on the phone a lot. So yeah, I mean, I've been home since March of last year. It's worked out quite nicely just with my, you know, personal family situation. The commute has been uh, better than ever. I commuted from my office to uh, the room we're in now, about a 30 second commute. It's a different dynamic, but most people I'm talking to are working from home and it's a nice little touch point of conversations. Uh, everyone's kind of going through a similar situation. Right. Sure. And and they'd rather talk to Brian, the wine guy from California than their coworkers on another zoom call. Yeah. Well, I would say that phone sales for wine is probably not like any other type of phone sales in that when you call someone out of the blue, they're more than happy to talk to you. Whereas uh, a lot of other industries, you get a lot of cold shoulders, I guess, to say to well, say the least. When my phone rings, it's not an actual person most of the time. <laughs> well, it's somebody trying to explain to me that I can still get help with my student loans. <laughs> it's kind of sounds like a real person, but it's obviously not a real person because I never had student loans. I never went to college, Brian. So why I am know. I getting calls about student loans? I don't understand the robocalls. How do they target me? I don't know what I don't know what criteria they use. I, I get the same calls. I don't have I don't have any loans outstanding that so I'm you, aware of. Good, that's good to know. <laughs> so you talk on the phone with people. You just call them up and say, "Hey, I work for this winery in California, and do you want to buy some wine?" Is that your basic pitch? Did I just nail it? Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> that's it's pretty dead on. I mean it it mostly has to do with having the confidence to just pick up the phone and call people. A lot right. of people are adverse to putting themselves in that type of situation where I tell people all the time, you're in wine, so you're not going to get the the same responses that you might if you were uh, trying to sell a student loan. 
But um, no, I mean, you know, you put together different promotions. Um, I'm fortunate where I work because we have we have a lot of old vintage wine, so we typically have some good wines to offer. It's not always a sales pitch. It's it's kind of more a scarcity play sometimes. So letting people behind the curtain and letting them know what's available to them. And, you know, it's not something that's going to be on the website available for purchase. And we're not offering deep discounts. We're more trying to pick out some gems for them to add to their seller. And you're not just cold calling random people all over the country. You're actually calling people who probably have heard of your winery, maybe even have visited your winery, right? You've got some kind of a, a phone list, a mailing list. Yeah. So it's all data-driven. A lot of the people that we're talking to are wine club members. Some some are newer members with very little buying history. Some are long-term members and you can get in there and really see what wines they're into, what wines that you should be offering them based on prior purchase history. And if you've had a chance to meet these folks, even better because that, that FaceTime you're getting. Oh, folks yeah. Is, you're their old uh, pal, Brian. Exactly. I actually had someone want me to autograph the wine club newsletter we had sent out and uh it, it never it never actually happened because their next visit to napa their folks from minnesota didn't happen to be at the winery that last trip but oh no you didn't get to autograph it for them i did not but Can't you just mail it to them i i could have i think the newsletter is more valuable with without my signature on it so they <laughs> I so, don't they, know. so they, i think they're in good shape your job is not, it's not so cut and dried. Like I said, I work in the tasting room and I'm direct consumer. You sit in an office on the phone, you're direct consumer because you're reaching out to people. I am waiting for them to show up at the winery or, you know, mostly now it's all like I'm waiting for the people that have reservations to come to the winery. So my people are already in wine country. They're on a trip to wine country. They're ready and primed to sit and taste wine and talk about it and hear me talk about it. And eventually, of course, I'm going to say, how many bottles can I box up for you or something cheesy like that? You aren't sitting with people tasting the wines. You just have to describe the wine to people. That's got to be a real challenge. Yeah, it's challenging. I think if you have, you know, connoisseurs that are somewhat savvy and they follow the different vintages here in Napa and Sonoma, I think leaning on prior quality vintages to describe whatever wine you're releasing, you know, looking at wines that they've probably had from your winery right? and letting them know that this wonderful 2011 vintage wine I'm selling you, it's just like the 2007. <laughs> that's a, that, that's a joke. There Though some go. of the 11s are, are coming around. I, I, I will, I've I had 11s. Say. People talk about the 11s in the Napa Valley still. Oh, what a rough year that was. I'm like, you're in California. You're in wine country. There are no bad years. There are years when things maybe didn't go the way you wanted them to. But if you know people who know how to make good wine, they made good wine in 2011. You know, the 11 vintage wines, you know, people are a little adverse to to that vintage, but they're not bad. They're just different. Well, as time has gone by, they have shown to be very ageable wines. A lot of times when you have those big, sexy, fruit-forward wines right out of the gate, they don't age as long, and you have the little tighter, a little more uh, rustic style of wines. Those tend to be able to hang on longer, and they'll actually really start to show some character in their, if it's a Cabernet from Napa, you know, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th year, they really start to come around. Exactly. I, I have to say, I know, I know you enjoy your weekends, but you're missing out by not working in the tasting room. Well, I, you know, I can come visit you. While you're working. Well, I just, I wanted to, I just came from the tasting room. This is our first evening recording of the podcast, by the way. 
And I was in the tasting room at Nicholson Ranch all day long. Uh, I have a few stories. A lovely group came in from Las Vegas today. Seven people. They spent a few hours at the winery. Believe it or not, they are in the wine business there, making wine in Las Vegas from California grapes. Vegas Valley Winery is the name of the winery. Uh, Now the fascinating part. Uh, The conversations that I interrupt when I come to the table each time I have the next wine. I could probably have a podcast just about those conversations, I think. Because when people are, you know, having fun, drinking wine, you pour wine for them, you tell tell them about it, you walk away from the table, and you come back, and a lot of times they're not talking about the wine anymore, they're talking about other things. I come back to this table today, and before I even got to the table, one of the women looked at me and said, "Uh, we're talking about sex. I, I, that's probably what most people are talking about. Let's be honest. And then, and then I came back to the table after the next wine and they were describing something. So there's seven people. Okay. And there's two or three people talking at the same time and they're describing something. And I hear the word, it's like a hose. And then somebody else says, it's like this long. And they're holding their hands like a foot apart. And I say, are we still talking about sex? (laughs) Lucky ladies, I guess. And they said, no, we're talking about sea cucumbers. Do you know what that is, Brian? I do. Okay. I said, hey, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. I know me some sea cucumbers. And yes, they make me feel a little less than endowed. Yeah, those and uh, gooey ducks. I would think think you would have issues. They're big. (laughs) They're big. And then they came, and I came back to the table like a half an hour later. They were just about done. And I said, what are you guys talking about now? And they said, we're talking about Kim Jong-un, you know, he doesn't have a butthole. <laughs> so, I find that hard to believe. So this is how far off the rails the conversation can go. Yeah. Do you ever wonder if uh, all the wine you serve people is making them have sex later on that day? Oh, I never think about that. I try not to anyway. <laughs> I mean, some people, we, we're hoping they, they leave the winery before they start having sex. <laughs> Let's talk about this first wine we're tasting, Brian. This is a wine podcast. And I, I put the coasters down on the table, the Tall Mike Wine podcast coasters. What do you think? You like those? The coasters? Yeah. Yeah, except I'm trying not to spill on the... I'm, if I do spill, I don't want to spill on the coaster. They're, I'll bring you... They're, they're I'll just bring that you more. nice. I'll bring you more. They okay. are nice. They yeah, are they're nice. working great. And if you're curious about the coasters and you would like some, I would send some to you if you just email me at tallmikewine at gmail.com. This offer is limited. How long have you had that? email handle i've had the email handle a long time 12 years i don't know somebody called me that one day in a restaurant where i worked i was the wine guy in a restaurant (laughs) in san francisco and one of the servers comes over and uh she says hey tall mike wine i got a question i'm like what did you call me (laughs) she said tall mike wine you're tall your name's mike and you're our wine guy i'm like i love that it's interesting because when i met you you were already tall mike wine right yet I never heard anyone refer to you as Tall Mike Wine. No, they usually refer to me by my first and last name. You are one of those guys. Which makes me kind of sound like a cartoon character or a superhero or something. I'm not just Mike to most people. I'm Mike Stone. I think Mike's in general. Right, because there's, there's so many of them. Because there's so many of them. There were three Mike's in my wedding. <laughs> and I was one of them. And I didn't. It wasn't a huge wedding, so... All right, let's talk about this wine, Brian. Tell me what we are sipping. This is from a small winery in Sonoma County called Inizi that a friend of mine is a 50% owner of. And the wine is a Sagrantino. 
That's the grape. Yeah, it is a grape varietal that is not widely planted in California. This could be the only local Sagrantino that I'm aware of. Could be. Where does it come from? This is from Dry Creek Valley. Okay. So uh, the Sonoma side. Sonoma side. I think this vineyard is just south of Lake Sonoma. So you're talking pretty far north in the Dry Creek Valley area. This yeah. is the Inizzi Sagrantino from 2016. Can I see that? Is that it's a 2016. 2016. Okay. And then does it have a vineyard designate on it or does it yeah. just say Dry Creek Valley? It's from Dry Creek Valley. And I'm going to take pictures and put these on my Instagram if you want to see the labels. So the vineyard is the Handel. I take pictures so I can remember because I usually forget. <laughs> so it's the Handel Denier Vineyard in the Dry Creek Valley. It is a 90 case production. This is my first time. Wow, 90 cases is all they made? 90 That's cases. Small production. It's drinking pretty good at this stage. It I, is. It's the first thing I thought when I held my nose up to it just before we started recording was, oh, this is earthy. It's got a lot of earth on the nose. But yeah. now that I've had a few sips of it, it's it's got some really nice plummy fruit to it, like big round plummy fruit. But then on the finish, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my definitely. It's, yeah, it definitely. has some tannins. This this could probably sell her for another five years easily. It dries the palate. I mean, as you know, the varietal can be quite harsh in its youth, especially from Italy, where it comes from. I would say this Sonoma County version is definitely drinking a lot better at this stage than maybe a, a young Italian. I version. haven't had too much Italian Sagrantino. Maybe one or two at the most. And if you're interested in the winery, they, they specialize in in hard to find varietals. Their flagship wine is actually Charbono that you and I've. That's another hard to find wine. Enjoyed. Yes, Brian and I drink some geeky wines sometimes. Brian, truth be told, is my my best all time wine drinking pal. All right, let's talk about your wine awakening. Uh, when did that happen? How did it happen? Where did it happen, Brian? It's kind of hard to track back. I okay. Mean, I've, I've always enjoyed... Give it your best shot. I've always enjoyed, you know, a nice cocktail or two. I would probably track falling in love with wine back to when I started working at the Trident. We worked together, Brian and I did. We he did. was a host. I started as a host. And I was tall Mike Wine. He was tall Mike Wine. He was tall. Not too much taller than me, but... A but. friendship ensued. <laughs> but yeah, but at that point, I think I was starting to get into wine just kind of socially... Um, out to dinner with on dates and things of that nature. I wasn't super, you know, I wasn't reading wine stats online and shopping for deals and things like that at that point, but I appreciated, I could tell the difference between a good bottle of wine versus an okay bottle of wine. I think my time at the restaurant exposed me to a lot of wonderful wines that you selected for the wine list. Mike also had this great program, Steward Sales, where he would, he would sell us the wine at cost. So you could get wholesale pricing on all these wonderful bottles and enjoy them and learn about them. Always a major perk in the restaurant business. But now we're in the wine industry. So, now we're, in so, the wine so industry. we're getting good pricing. Brian, was there wine in your house growing up? You grew up here in Nevada. I grew you? up here. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm living about a mile from my childhood home. Wow. Um, yeah. My folks drank wine. They didn't drink anything too fancy. Do you mom. remember what they drank? My mom drinks Chardonnay exclusively. Okay. She's been drinking Woodbridge by oh, Robert Mondavi for, goodness. Uh, for, for quite a long time. That is a bargain wine. It right is there. a bargain. Um, though I leave some Easter eggs over there from time to time for her of some, of some, <laughs> of some better stuff. That's nice of you. 
And then uh, I don't know what my dad drinks regularly. He's not that discerning either. I'm speaking more of like when you were. Yeah, a kid, yeah, no. I mean, they would. Yeah, they would drink wine with okay. with dinner. My dad, especially just with dinner. My mom is an exclusive Chardonnay drinker. So you're yeah. talking. You know, if it's Easter brunch, it's going to be Chardonnay, and Christmas dinner, it's going to be Chardonnay. <laughs> Steak dinner, Chardonnay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My parents had the uh, the bottle of Lancer's Rosé in the fridge on the special nights. Oh, interesting. Are you familiar? No. It, it was a. I was think it a it's, blush? Did they I call it? Uh, they might have called. I think they called it Rosé. Okay. You know, they had all sorts of different terms for these wines in the 1970s, and the packaging back then for the Lancers was this bottle that was kind of weird shaped and it looked like it was made of ceramic but it wasn't and it had this weird like pop top on it but my mom would pull that bottle of lancer's rosé out of the fridge on specific nights and then there was also matus which is another spanish wine really i mean i always wanted to taste these wines because i was fascinated with food from a very young age it was always like oh they're drinking this wine and they're making a big deal out of it let me try it and it was always like oh my god what is it yeah it was the worst stuff yeah, what I always think about is how if I smell a nice glass of red wine now, I think it just smells beautiful and delicious. Mm-hmm. But if in my mind I think back on what the wine smelled like when my parents were drinking it when I was a kid, in my mind it smells terrible, yet it smells very similar to the wine that I enjoy in in real time. I, I see. I think <laughs> that the, the, the wines my parents drank were just bad. It could be the There case. was no way I was going to say, oh, that's interesting. My dad drinks wine from a box still. Yeah, I was going to ask about your dad because I know he's kind of like my dad where if you were to, you know, give him some nice wine, oh, he could enjoy He the is happy to drink nice wine, but he'll send me a picture of his wine from a box once in a while. He says, "It's one of the better boxes," but I get the feeling when he sends me a picture of his boxed wine, he's sort of taunting me, you know, saying <laughs> in essence, that his wine is just as good as my more expensive fancy wine. Uh, why is that a thing with wine? I mean, I drive a fairly cheap used car. I love it because it gets me from point A to point B in relative comfort reliably. But I I don't feel the need to taunt dudes driving more expensive, nicer cars with, you know, hey, look at my beater car. It's good. Just as good as your car. <laughs> yeah, why is that a thing with wine? There were people that I... don't drink nicer wines because they just choose not to, which is fine with me. I'm not, some people like to say, oh, this really cheap stuff. I love it. It's so good. And they just want to, they want to rub it in your face. Yeah. Why is that a thing? You know, I like to shop for good deals as you do, but I I don't want that deal to be at the expense of a quality wine. So I don't know what people are doing with those super cheap bottles. I've encountered folks on the other end of the spectrum where if the wine is not expensive enough, right? then they don't want to drink anything beyond a certain level there. <laughs> well, step right this way. I've got some $200 bottles for yeah. you. Yes. Well, you know what I tell people is it's very easy to drink good wine if you're willing to spend any kind of money to get it. It's right. more, in my opinion, gratifying to find a great wine at a great price. Right. Typically, you're not going to find a great wine at too low of a price, but there are some gems out there. Ryan, we better get to that next bottle because I brought some wine too. Monty, the golden retriever, is uh, still sleeping. He he adjusted himself from uh, my right side to my left side. He's still sitting at my feet. Right. Of 
pour myself a glass of the next wine. I brought a wine to the occasion that I know Brian would love. It's one of his favorite wines. It is one of my favorite wines from one of my favorite vintages. So this is uh, an absolute treat, and it's not a wine that I encounter very often out in the market. No, this is another small producer. This is like 1,800 cases, which sounds like a lot more than 90 cases, but 1,800 cases for the whole thing is still pretty small when you're talking about any wine that's distributed out into the world. This is from a winery called Smith Madrone up on Spring Mountain in the Napa Valley. Now, you may remember a few episodes ago, we had the president of Keenan Winery on the podcast, Michael Keenan, and his winery is not too far from this winery, also on Spring Mountain. This winery is run by uh, brothers Stuart and Charles Smith, and uh, they make Cabernet, Chardonnay, they make Riesling, and all of the wines are great, but the Cabernet, of course, is the big fave amongst people who love the big reds. And this is mountain fruit, so about 1,800 feet elevation is where their vineyard is. Yeah, these wines are usually kind of a throwback style, too. Uh, those guys have been up there. I think they may have owned that property since the late 60s. I don't know how long they've been making wine. I but, think it uh, precisely was the early 70s when they bought that property. Is that when they bought it? They're one of the older wineries in Napa, I would I would say, at this point, if you're talking post mm. post-prohibition. Mm. I'm having a little little nose orgasm here, the nose on this wine. It's flowery, it's earthy, it's smoky, it's so nice. This is the 2012 vintage of the Smith Madrone Cabernet Sauvignon, Spring Mountain, Napa Valley. Yeah, like Nicholson, they're in a state winery. Right, they have so. a vineyard on the property and they make their wine from the vineyard. Simple, easy. And they dry farm too, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you get some good- No irrigation, so super small grapes. Super vivid flavors in the wine. This has some really nice spice to it. Lots of violet on the nose. And you can tell on the nose that this mm. is this is a throwback style. This is what wine people that have been around a while and have seen the trends come and go would say, oh, old school Napa Cab. They've probably been making it the exact same recipe. And when I say recipe, I mean the same barrel regimen, the same blend. This is about... I want to say this is like 85% Cab, and there's a little bit of Merlot and a little bit of Cab Franc in the mix, but not very much. And it spends 18 months in barrel. That's it. I'm sure they've been making it this way since the very beginning, since the late 70s. Yeah, I mean, this is my preferred style of Napa Cab, if you can find it. I don't mind a, a big fruit bomb because they're you know exquisitely drinkable, but I do like something like this that's got a little more to say. I mean, this is drinking great, but you could hang on to this bottle just like that Sagrantino. I would say uh, they're. Yeah, I, I was I was hesitating before I pulled it out of the wine rack today. I thought, uh, should I bring it? Because I, I only have one of them. And I've been carting it around for like five years. I thought, you know, Brian loves this wine. And it's 2012, so it's time to drink it. It's good. Yeah, that's I try are... not to hang on to them. The key is not to hang on to them too long. While at the same time, aging them long enough for them to develop the way they're going to in the bottle the secondary and tertiary flavor. So I think I've hit this one right on the nose. Oh, yeah. It's just There's, fine. Do you have any ribeye in the fridge, Brian? Could you just cook me one up right now? I, it, I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> it, this it, is, it deserves it, that's This is for the sure. ultimate steakhouse style of Napa Cab. It's got some nice tannins on the end. It's got a little bit of bell pepper on the nose. Nice plush fruit. I'm very happy that I brought this wine. Yeah, I and mean, the tannin is obviously present, but it's it's nice and soft and integrated. It's not like that Sagrantino's tannins. No, <laughs> which, no, I'm which actually kind of hurt me. It kind of hurt my. Yeah, mouth. well, the Sagrantino is interesting because you know, being from Dry Creek, you don't expect a wine of that structure. You know, to have those big brawny muscles to it. That, that's yeah, that's a 
big dry baby. Yeah. I'm kind of proud of it though, that it achieved that level of it's, robustness. It's, it's pretty awesome. That was a gift. So I don't feel too bad about opening it. Very nice. <laughs> All right, Brian, I've got more questions for you. What were some of the things you might've answered as a kid when a grown up asked you what you were going to be when you grew up? I mean, I was a kid that really was into like building things. I had my own little workbench, you know, had, I had my own vice on there and everything. You had a workbench with a vice? I had a, I had a craftsman toolbox. <laughs> I had a crescent wrench. So you gotta have I, a crescent I, wrench. Something in a blue collar field was probably something. I was never that person that was projecting myself that far in the future, but I thought it would be something in the, again, a blue collar field. You thought you were going to build things and be a construction yeah, guy. Yeah, be, you know, be a cop, be a fireman be a carpenter joe hard hat something tactile now you sit in an office and talk to people about wine all day yeah well <laughs> if you like drinking wine you're not trying to get rich getting a job in the wine industry is kind of the way to go oh it's amazing it's, it's a fun industry but it's definitely not for everybody so when you you went off to uh college you went to did you go to sac state I did. I went to you Sac State. Okay. This is actually kind of an interesting story because it's it's kind of the way I met Mike. So I graduated from college in 2008, right? Wait, the wait. this is how we met? You're going to talk about how we met? Well, it's it's kind of how we met okay. because- uh, I, I don't think I've ever heard this story. Well, it's it's not directly correlated to you. Oh, okay. okay. But graduated in 2008 at the height of the crash, okay. there were no jobs to be had for someone in my position. I wait, what were you trying to do? You went to well, Sac I was, State. I had you didn't this, go to Sac State for- being a construction guy, wearing a hard no, hat. No, no. I, well, I got a degree in government, and the plan was to get a job at the state right out of Sac State because- Into Sacramento, where into all Into the, the state government, yes. Sure. And uh, that plan fell to pieces as soon as shit hit the fan that period of time. Mm -hmm. There were no jobs in the government. There were no jobs really in the private sector. And then in that time period, I had some temporary jobs, and then I got the job at- the restaurant. Right. The fact that I could not find a job doing something else in a roundabout way had me land kind of on your doorstep. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So. I mean, I knew that you did not go to college to learn how to be a host in a restaurant. No, but I do think, you know, I was one of the better hosts. So I don't know if, if my degree, you know, helped in that area or not, but. Uh, I don't know if it's a question. But I was of, excellent. He was. He was great. <laughs> I don't know if it's a question of degrees helping you be a better host in a restaurant. I think that job is all about having a lot of common sense. Yeah, common sense, confidence, and you know, being able to deal with impatient people sure. from time to time. Brian was a host at the Trident, and then he got out of the management team. And then he became addicted to good wine, and then he went off and worked for a winery. What was the winery in Healdsburg? Was it oh, North yeah. Of so Where did you go work? It no longer exists, but my first job was at a winery. Brian worked there, and now it no longer exists. Yes. Hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah. Direct impact. Now, it was Fieldstone Winery. It was part of an acquisition. It's no longer there. But that's I kind of cut my teeth in the taste room doing something similar to what Mike's doing now. Much quieter neck of the woods than, than where Nicholson is located, but uh, similar vibes. And then you moved over to the big corporate winery. Yeah. Just for some different opportunities. Still a family owned winery though, that I work for. It's a big family. No, it's owned by one person. Well, I know it's owned by one person, but it, the name family is in the name of the company. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that that's legit. <laughs> 
So Brian uh, was a host in a restaurant, started working at a winery, and then he met the love of his life, and now they have a baby. How old is Sadie now? Sadie it will be 20 months. Is it next week? No, it'll be uh, Sunday. She'll be 20. Oh, so she's not even two. No, she'll be two in August. Oh, I thought it was going to be three this August. I've totally lost track. No, but she talks like a three-year-old. We think she might be advanced. We're oh, not sure. man. What kind of wine does she like? I don't know. She likes to smell it, though. I let her smell it. That's good. You it, gotta, do, it doesn't seem to bother her. You got to get them going early. But you she won't eat her veggies. Who wants to eat veggies? She, she did when she was younger. Has being a dad changed the way you look at wine since you got into wine as a single guy? No serious attachments. Then a wife, then a child. I think if anything, I buy more and drink more <laughs> of it. I think Julie would attest to that. And I tell people at the winery all the time, they talk about their kids and I say, wine is helpful in good parenting and it's cheaper than therapy. I, I would tend to agree with you. So do you listen to the podcast? I do. Yeah. I'm hoping this is going well. It's going great. I've enjoyed most of the others. I was telling Mike, I was joking, but I said, I can't tell if it's good because I know you so well, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is good. I never know if it's going to be great until I edit it down and make everybody sound brilliant and put the music behind it. And then, yeah, well, and then it sounds good. And then it, it sounds like a podcast. It's intimidating because you do such a good job. Oh, that's nice of you to say. But it is good. I learned a little bit. The Schurmeister one was interesting. I was not I was not familiar with that winery. So. They're such nice people. Do you listen to any other podcasts? I any, do. Any recommendations uh, you can make? Not really any recommendations. <laughs> I mean, I listen to kind of some of the bro stuff. I used to listen to the Joe Rogan podcast. Whoa. Like, you know, when he would have interesting guests, it, you know, you you can learn a lot. Right. He He's not on the iTunes store. And I don't use Spotify. What? He's not? Wait, what happened? Wait, is he only on one channel? He's only on Spotify. They gave him $100 million. Whoa! Really? I didn't know that. You could end up being the biggest podcast on the iTunes. I mean, I know that Spotify has Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen, but they also have Joe Rogan exclusively for $100 million? he, He does put up clips on YouTube, but not full shows. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you could you could take his place. I'm ready to take his place. You know what I really want to do? I want to just hone my interview skills. And then one day I'll be at the winery or on my day off at home minding my own business and the phone will ring and it'll be somebody from NPR. Uh Mike Stone? Mike. Yeah. Uh Terry Gross is sick. Uh could you come host Fresh Air for us? <laughs> I've been practicing from WHYY in Philadelphia. This is Fresh Air. Yeah. You like that? Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Actually, the Fresh Air podcast was one of the first ones that I had encountered when podcasts sort of became a thing. Well, I mean, it's a great, it was a huge show for years and years and years. Now it's also available on podcasts. Yeah. You know, Terry Gross has been out there interviewing people forever. That's why I have this podcast. People kept telling me about podcast, 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 podcast. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Maybe I'll listen to one. What do I like? I like wine. Okay, I'll find a wine podcast. And then I couldn't find one that I liked. So I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'll make my own. Yeah, I get notified when your podcast comes out. That's nice of you. And then I usually listen to it while I'm cleaning the dishes. I hear that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) People listen to me in their kitchens, which I like because I'm in my kitchen a lot. I would love it if uh, anybody within the sound of my voice would subscribe and follow me. I'd like to know what, what number subscriber I am. I feel like that's a pretty early. You know, it's it's really hard to know because there's so <laughs> many platforms and not all the platforms give you all the data. I really don't know how many people subscribe. I know how many people download. And like I said earlier, 
Anchorage, Alaska is just killing it. Yeah, I had some thoughts about that, but I, I don't I don't want to offend any of your fans up in Alaska. <laughs> Should we just leave it? I think we'll leave it there. All right, we'll leave it. The Tall Mike Wine Podcast was conceived and is written, edited, and produced by yours truly. The podcast is hosted on a very helpful site called Buzzsprout. The theme song was written by Jeremy Marzen. I hope you'll join us next time and scan through past episodes now that I have a whole bunch to be sure you haven't missed anything. We have a lot now. I'll thank you in advance for subscribing or following me on your favorite podcast app. Also, you can find me on Instagram at Tall Mike Wine. If you look at us right now, you'll see a picture of Brian and I and all these wines we're drinking. For feedback, send me an email, tallmikewine at gmail.com again. Thanks for finding us this time. Until next time, I'm Mike Stone. Cheers. Cheers.